0: And all week, I you know, I, I would say that I was contemplating, gosh, what do you want to teach us, Lord, out of this and, and out of three and four? And there's a bunch to be taught. Um, our weakness is such a need to redefine terms. If sometimes you guys are somewhat frustrated or dismayed because David seems like he's saying the same thing over and over again or repeats himself, or if he already said that, why can't he say something new? And we want our ears tickled. I, I think that it's probably, no, know that it's purposeful. And I think that it's probably necessary. I know all of us to, on some level, to redefine terms, myself included. We've got, um, we've heard, listened to, um, become callous to. the The truths of this of this word the truth that God has left us with. and I'm not sure how to get him redefined. The people that he was in constant conflict with him constantly quoted the Bible. Right? I mean the Pharisees were quoted the Bible. Even even when he was in the the giant cataclysmic war struggle battle with Satan out in the desert. Satan quoted the Bible to him. You know, I mean, the the the, the Bible is quoted falsely, maybe more than it's quoted correctly. And if we do not, the one the one thing about that, that is very clear that we can understand is is it? this is the same God front to back. Uh, the same heart. He does not change yesterday, today, and forever. Yes, we are under a new covenant now, where they were under an old covenant. And, and yes, there are things that have changed, but God has not changed. And the heart of our God has not changed. And, and our ability to have a relationship with Him, um, and His desire for us to have a relationship with Him, comes from the same place as it always has. Um, Adam and Eve were dependent on Jesus as much as we're dependent on Jesus. So it's it's really important. If if you if you feel like I'm repeating myself or repetitive or redundant, um, please please bear with it. It's not done because I don't know what to say. It's done with purpose. Um, it's done because I believe that we need we need to have the de- God's heart and definitions on on truths otherwise we're going to be remain callous and hard-hearted so a, a couple of those words I, I challenged you last week because again in, in chapter three the word faith is used 13 times you know this is a little little book i mean there's 29 verses and it's used 13 times um and, and that wasn't paul being redundant either or babbling or didn't have a better word you know Paul was, was trying to define what it meant because the, the Christians shortly into the, into the deal um, were already uh, going fairly sideways. And, and their definitions were wrong and they were adding to and they were taking away and they were leaving out. So Paul was definitely trying to redefine what it meant to have a relationship with God based on faith. And all of us understand the need for that intellectually, too. By grace, by the grace of God, we are saved through faith. Not of ourselves, not by works. listening to me, man should boast. I mean, the Bible is full of that truth. It is the, it's only by the grace of God. And it's only by faith in God that we're saved. So, I guess there's a couple... You know, I'm going to... Pardon me for being redundant again, but, but what does it mean to have faith in Jesus? Um, I hope that that thought came up in your mind last week, over the last week, and if it didn't, I'll hope that it does again. Um, and, and pray that it does again. Because there, there's a couple words here that I would like us to kind of center on. As I was, I was going through this, reading and studying, um, the word, the words, righteousness and justified. What does that mean? What does it mean to be justified? What does it mean to be righteous? Um, you know, the, the the profound thing about that is that we we tend to hold those, um, and and I don't. Like chaos is the word. And it and it means that it's the same word that's used for righteousness or forms of it, depending on if it's justified by faith, or, or you know, if it's a, or an adverb or what it's using, but it's it's that word is the is the base of it. Same word for justification and righteousness. Okay? So what it's really important. Again, one of the, the the cultural deceptions and lies that we live under is is that we are just sinners saved by grace. And, it, and even we we speak of that of ourselves, considering ourselves born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and we say, "I'm just a sinner saved by grace." And we've talked about this a lot. Fearing the, the uh, redundancy. Um, we are called saints in the New Testament. We are not called sinners. And there is a reason for that. And there is there's, there's a profound difference in our mentality. And when, when we understand who we are. And to become saints, we have to be justified. To, be, to become saints, we are righteous ones. Our holy ones is what the word means. That's what the word saint means. Righteous ones are holy ones. So that's what God calls us, that's what we are to be is holy ones. And that understanding and having our definition of righteousness, justification, and by faith and grace. If we are callous to those words, I mean all of us, I think in this room that are here, that if I asked, if I said, Okay, how are you saved? We could give a cute little spiel, you know, the blood of Jesus. Well, it, you know, pardon me, I think that a lot of times we throw in the blood thing because that's kind of a serious word, you know, the blood of Jesus. But what does that really mean? You know, by his shed blood. You know? um, because we go off on all kinds of weird tangents, you know, with crosses and with weird aspects of Christianity that we add to, you know, I mean, obviously the Catholic Church grape juice or the wine that we drink, we didn't drink grape juice originally, but the wine that we drink Doctrine that was argued about for years, blood people were killed over, uh, people were burned at the stake for. I mean, it's a pretty wild concept, and yet it's not here it's not in this deal. But obviously, the definition. You know, um, one of the one of the past elders and shared. I remember when we were, you know, and Steve and I, and and I remember sitting on Steve's deck one afternoon, and I shared this with most of you, but. And he got a call from um, uh, a previous elder who had moved away from this church, and and he had been called from some other people, and they and he was calling, giving Steve, you know, reading him the riot act because you guys have to have communion on Sunday morning because you have to give people the opportunity to confess their sins. I mean, that that is an absolute Catholic doctrine that has. Nothing to do with what communion is about, um, and yet, and yet that was his take, you know. And and unfortunately, there was a lot of babes, young sheep, that had been that are were kind of raised up in this body. That obviously, do you think they're going to take on that definition of communion? If that's what's being taught by the teachers, if that's being taught by the leaders, they can't help but take on that definition on some level. Did they re? Did they look at this and define it? Or did they just sit back and go, "Well, oh, I guess that's what it must be," and it fits well anyway. What defines me as righteous? What defines me as a Christian? What, 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 what defines that I am right with God? And and. You know, in spite of the fact that we cut the Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes no slack and we mock and ridicule them for being idiots because they did act like idiots. I'm sorry, we probably should identify with the idiocy far greater than we do because they might have written down the Mishnah and come up with laws like it is unlawful to spit on the ground and make mud and put it on a blind man's eyes and heal him on the Sabbath day. That's a law. That was a law in the Mishnah. Why Jesus did it that way again. You know, I mean, that's that's a profound thing. Where would you come up with such a concoction? You know, I mean, it's just, you know, that that was unrighteous. That was a sin, you know, to do that. I mean, it's just, it's easy. And yet, what do we do? You know, we, we do the same things with markers. You know, we do the same things personally. When you create the ambience and the feeling and the woo and the wah and the like, you know, when we do communion, and it's silent, it's time for you to be right with God, and you make sure you're right with God, or you might fall over dead and confess if you eat that or drink that blood or something. I mean, it's just a, it's a wild concept that we come up with and and put on it when that's completely contrary to what Jesus meant at the Last Supper when he was breaking bread and and passing the cup. Um, that wasn't his purpose, his reasoning, his, his reason for instituting it as a, as a remembrance of him. Um, it's a pretty, pretty wild thing. But we, we come up with this, and we define them wrong, and we get pretty stuck in that box. And without, without spending the time to have them redefined or having them defined by this, by the, by the inspired word of God. Again, this, isn't, this is not God. But God is not different from this either. God's heart is not different from this. God, God reveals His character, his, his thoughts, his desires, His purpose for us here. And, and that doesn't change outside of it. Is it is, outside of that? Is the reality of relationship with God? If, you're, if your relationship with God is combined to this book, it's a pretty pathetic thing, and you really don't have a relationship with God. Because it is not an intellectual experience based on a book. It's a reality of relationship with an Almighty God. You know? That's a profound thing. It's just the the reality is it is not distinct or different from this book. So redefining those terms is very important. Um, faith is one that is critical because we are saved by faith. Okay? By our faith. All right? So I would say that's pretty important to understand, because then if we don't have a saving faith, what's that mean? We're not saved. If we're not saved, what's that mean? We're not in a relationship with God, we're we're going to hell, we're eternally condemned, and we are under the power of the prince of this world, the ruler of this world. That's not a good state of being, however, however he might try to make it so if you, if you don't and it boils down to faith okay it boils down to our to our and what what does that mean what is saving faith what what is it is it believing hard enough is it having the semantics right is it, it is it being able to to say that make the right statements um, is it saying the pledge of allegiance to God you know, hand over a heart, whatever. Is it, what is it? What is a saving faith? And, and I, again, like last week, I would, I would feel like I was far more successful if I left you questioning and struggling than give you, give us all a cute answer to rest on. Because I, I, I want you to consider it. Because I, I love you guys. Because I care about you. And, and I, and I don't, I don't want Right answers. I want right hearts that, that truly come to a saving faith. So, a couple of things, this week, and I and I would like, um, and I know it's jumping ahead because I'm actually um, kind of excited about going into Ephesians. It's a pretty rich, rich book. Um, Galatians is Galatians is too. What's profound about Galatians and what's difficult for us to understand and I seem to struggle a little bit in in conveying is we don't understand how strong the roots of Judaism were. And and we're pretty harsh on them. Um, I mean, circumcision, this was like foundational. And And it was a commandment of God, right? I mean, circumcision was something that you did. You know, you circumcised your child on the eighth day, and that was the way it was. If if he was to be Jewish, and if you prosely, if you became a Jew, you went and got her done too, even as an adult, because that was that was the deal. I mean, you had to mean it. You know, it wasn't like showing up and attending a church, and you weren't going to find a Jewish church that lets you get away with not. You know, you had to go whack it. I mean, it was a it? Was a, it was the deal, and it, and it was it was so ingrained part of their culture, and that is a big part of what Galatian, the church in Galatia, seemed to be struggling with. And, and it was truly symbolic of the problem, but it was the focal point of the problem, and that was circumcision. And they were talking about uh, they, they were if you become a Christian, you really need to be circumcised, you know, to become part of the family of God. Um, and, and again we look at it and go wow stupid but, and, and that's my struggle is how do we how do we identify with what was going on there because the predomin- you know basically was written addressing that problem but really not th- that problem was the focal point but really what he was doing is is addressing the bottom line that we are saved by faith not by works of the law. And that happens to be one that's very difficult for us to understand too, because we believe in we are American. We're free. We 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 have no king. Um, you know, in spite of the fact that we're a nation of law, we say, we say we're free, we're free to choose. You know, we, we live under manifest destiny, the right to pursue, to go after, to be successful. Um, given by God. Um, everybody is guaranteed certain rights, inalienable rights granted by God, innate and given by God. And, and we have a very hard time. I mean, of all, of all places, um, we as Christians should understand submission to authority. But fortunately, American Christians don't necessarily understand it any more than, than American Christians. Um, I don't have to I can if I want to if I choose to we don't understand a king we don't understand that that, that faith in God and, and there aren't multiple faiths I mean it's one of the, the comments I made about our God is greater our God is stronger that is not politically correct to say that okay because you are, you are saying that yours is weaker and that sounds like a third grade bully you know doing it. no, that's how we absolutely should feel. We serve the one and only almighty God. There are not multiple gods that are equal to him or distinct from him in 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 all cultures um, be be very be very Do not distance yourself from the fact that everyone and do not equate your innate desire to do it with righteousness. Everyone seeks to please their God. Okay? every Everyone spends their life. We look at, you know, we look at pagan cultures or native cultures that are dancing around a fire and You know, they've got a stone image up in the back. Authority and the ultimate being. But you will spend your life trying to be right and please your God. And the issue, and the, the absolute object of critical importance is who is our God? Who is our God? All religions, all non-religions, have God. It's just... How do they define him? Who do they, def- you know, what defines him? And and we we would even go so far we wouldn't quite say it like that, you know. There are multiple churches that that in this valley that would say we believe in the God of the Bible. Really, really? I mean, it, is is he defined by this word? Is this the object? This isn't about David. This isn't about. Calvary Chapel. This isn't about we are the church in the hill that just follows the Bible and we're right and you guys are off doing this. that's, That's tragic. That has nothing to do with it. That has... What the issue is is we need to be people whose God is defined by this Bible. And that's who we have faith in. And that is very offensive in this culture. That is very offensive and troubling to people in this culture. Because it's saying... There's a right and there's a wrong, and one of us is right and one of us is wrong. What do we want to say? Well, you're free to believe the way you choose, and and you're you're free to come up with the God that you want to come up with out of the Bible. And God reveals Himself in many different ways, and and and, and there's multiple interpretations of what this says. No, there's not. You know, the, the God in, had intent and purpose and very specific about. What he divinely inspired is divine... We're going to have different applications as far as what, what happens in our life. What God was saying is the same. And the God who said it and, and inspired it, it is the God who said and inspired it. Not who we choose to make him out to be. And I, I... This is, there is an unrelenting nature in man to self-define God. To subjectively God. Well, I want my God to look like this. I want my God to seem like this. I want my God to feel like this. I want my God to act this way. This fits with the way I think and this fits with the way I feel. Um, and it's this group of people I like. In this group of people who believe this is what God is and how He is, I like them better. And they get along with it. That used almost almost entirely always comes to they don't hold me accountable. But they I, I like being with this group. They make me feel better. They make me feel better about myself. Bad idea number one. You know, except our identity in God, we should feel really good about that—that we are the sons of God. I'm going to read Ephesians two. He said, "Well, that, where, I thought we were in Galatians 3. No, I, I know but I, I'd like to read Ephesians two and. Like I say, always listen, read, follow, whatever best works to tune in to what God is saying. Not what my voice my coming out, but what God is saying here. So, I don't know what it takes to do that. Turn all the lights off and close your eyes and blindfold you. Or I don't know. But listen, please, to what... what Because this is what's really important to understand. Again, redefine grace, redefine justified, redefine righteousness, redefine who we are outside of God and who we are in God. These, the things are, are so important. and We could go to this whole thing and we could come up with that definition. I, one just seemed to stick with me that I would like to read what it says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Okay? In which you formally walked. Formally. Formally walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. Of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Either under the authority of God or you are under the authority of Satan. That's the. I'm a free, white, and American guy running around here under nobody's authority except I choose to give unto. It has nothing to do with what of you choosing to be in submission to Satan. We are... of God, of the true and living God, or we are under the authority of false gods and Satan. Okay? So, that, that is the point of existence. That isn't David. That's what this says. In which you formerly walked. You were dead in your trespasses and sins which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Okay. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love which he, with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Really? That's a radical statement. What is our identity? I'm just a sinner. What's he say? Even though you were dead, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In order that, in the ages to come. Why? In order that, one of the reasons, in order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing richness of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Grace, you have been saved through faith. not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Not as a result of works, that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision, By the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, our peace with God, who made both groups into one, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by admonishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him... We both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Listen to this. Sweet testimony of what we are to look like. what we are to look like. What we are to be. It isn't a matter of what we are to look like. It's what we are to be. Having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, that's us, not this building, that's us, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into what? Into a holy temple for the Lord. In whom you are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. That's what we're to be. Not this building, not this house. Us in this, sitting in the circle right here are to be a dwelling of God. That's radical. That's radical. That, that is God's purpose in leaving us here. Why when we're saved and we finally realize it, He loves us so much, why does He leave us here? We're growing into a holy temple of the Lord. That's a radical change that happened then. Where did he dwell? Where, did, where was his Shekinah glory? In the Old Testament. It was, it was in the Holy of Holies. Yeah. Um, it didn't dwell. In, in, it was in a portion of that little building. Now there is no building. Now we are the building that God is fitting together, purposely chosen before the foundation of the world for us to be a dwelling place for God in the Wood River Valley. Do you hear that? That's what he says. Does our relationships matter? Yeah. Our relationships matter. Does us being united, does us being of one faith, does us being of like-minded, like he calls us to be, does that matter? Yeah, a bunch of robotic cult members—that wouldn't be a good thing, okay? But spirit-filled people of God—same spirit, indwelling, living in, empowering, illuminating truth to each one of us. But why? So that we are because we are being built into a holy. Temple for God to dwell in this valley. That's a radical statement, but that is what church to be. Church isn't for my benefit to walk in. Church isn't for me to come here and feel better about myself, because I smiled a lot and people patted me on the shoulder and said, "Good to see you brother." Church is, church is for us to, to come Church. Us is for us to be a holy dwelling place for God. I mean that's a radical thing. And and why? Because God wants his glory to be shown in this valley. That is the truth of it. God wants his glory to be shown in this valley because it's not shown very bright. It hasn't been shown very bright. Why? Well, part he's talking about in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Is that just hypothetical and trying to be speak religiously about just a bunch of bad men or just a bunch of sinners? No. no he, the, there are principalities and powers that govern this valley, that rule this valley. Okay? That, the Bible says that. And I can guarantee you, we get callous and and quiet to it. Does that mean we shouldn't? No, God has us here to fight. God has us here to be a remnant. God has us here to to exemplify His, show His glory in this valley. I mean that, and and is that going to be fought against? Let me guarantee you, yes. I know, happen to know Christians out of this valley. Sorry, don't be sarcastic. But I know I know brothers that and sisters that that live outside of this valley. And when they come to visit or they come to be here with me, they say, "Whoa, you guys! You, you realize how strong the principalities and powers are in this town. They're very subtle. They're very quiet. <clears throat> we don't see the dominion and domination and, and treachery towards souls of you know." Streets filled with meth addicts, or whatever it might be. You know, what do we see? The tragic reason, one of the reasons we're so blinded, is because we do not have God's values. That, in spite of the fact that we that we say riches won't make you happy, you still kind of envy those guys. Okay. If but if I had a little bit, of that, you know, if I if I just had a little bit more, if I just was had the ability to. You know, I mean, I wouldn't need three houses if I just had mine paid for, you know. If I just had a car that worked, you know. If I just had a work truck, you know. Whatever it might be. Not to say that we don't have needs in life. But as long as we, we still exonerate, as long as we still covet on some level, as long as we still have this world's perspective on material wealth, on pleasure, on hedonism, on success, we're not going to see God's heart and we're going to be pretty blinded to Satan's tools. Does Satan lead people to destruction with great wealth? What did he offer Jesus? What was his ultimate ploy to offer Jesus when when they were having the big struggle to see if Satan was going to be able to get to him directly? Okay? Because here is about ready to go in the ministry and Jesus says, you know, we, we need to settle this right now. We, we need to deal with this now. I, I don't need you to continually... Now, did Satan quit on Jesus? No. Satan tried to kill him when he was a little child. Um, went through and, and killed all the babies under two, you know, doing it. I mean, he, he tried, to, tried to nail him there. Didn't get it done. I'm not sure if Satan lost track of him. Well, honestly I, I don't know, you know I mean, we don't hear anything about his time in, in um, well, not, not just in Egypt, but his growing up, his childhood, you know, growing up in Nazareth, you know we don't hear where he was or what happened, you know we don't hear about him in that region much, but here it came jesus is gonna, Jesus is going to fulfill this this eternal purpose that God intended for him to do. We're going to spend three years, in a sense, giving the Jews another chance. You know, come on, you guys. Come on, you guys. Come on, you guys. You know, you need to understand I am the Messiah. I am the fulfillment. He was going about this ministry. And, and basically, let's let's get this done. Let's realize that you are not going to be so to get to me. And so, let's be very certain that Satan himself, who tempted him for 40 days in the wilderness... The, you know, this wasn't, you want a granola bar? You know, I mean, you know, th- th- this was Satan's best game, his A game, to, to take him down. And, and, and the fight was on. What was, the, what was the, the most, his last straw? Took him on top of a high mountain. Said, I, all the wealth and all the power of this world is mine. Satan said. He wasn't kidding either. To do what I please with. To hand out and distribute as I want. For my purpose. I'll give it all to you. Wait, This is Jesus. I mean, you know, how could you... You don't think that was Satan's A-game? That was Satan's A-game. You know, we we tend to diminish that and say, well, of course, Jesus would say, how stupid. No, no, no. That, That was the strongest temptation he could do towards his flesh. Does Satan bless... With prosperity and wealth? Yes. For what purpose? To take us to hell. To win. To have victory. Is it so there's prosperity and wealth from Satan? I didn't say that. Okay? I didn't say that. But we can be very sure that most of it is. Is that but so why then do we always long for that? We shouldn't. And as long as we still see it as, as something which will make me happy, something which will bless me, um, we're in danger of not having God's perspective and being tempted on doing it. Tempted by... The, this is... Bottom line there is, we live in a valley who Satan tempts with prosperity and wealth. Okay? I mean, we... Who, who has people in control through prosperity and wealth. I mean, he was going to take Jesus Himself down. So you think he's capable of taking the rest of us down that way? Yeah, hedonism, uh, pacifier in our mouth. I mean, we, you know, the, the most people places in the world they go. God, I'm really depressed. I'm really bummed. What do I want? Oh, I'm going to go buy a chocolate bar. What do people up here say? I'm going to go to Hawaii. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to take a trip because I don't feel good. You know, I'm kind of depressed. So, let's blow out of here. Let's go to Mexico. Let's get a house in Mexico, in fact. You know, and then I'll be happier. You know? I mean, it's, it's relentless. It's just on a different, huge level. And it sure seems, I mean, all of us look and go, I'm in Hawaii. I could care less, but let's go on, let's go hunting in Alaska. That'll help my depression. (laughs) I'll be a happy boy. Let's go kill a grizzly bear. Really? with a new gun and, you know it sounds good to me you know fly around in a hyper tub and land in some little bar and go face to face and head on with a grizz bear I mean that's what it's going to be like in heaven isn't it? Okay. so we, the, the up here we are hugely tempted we're in the middle of a fight it does not look like Satan's typical temptations. how are we a temple for the living God. This is to stand as a light on the hill, the salt of the earth in this valley. Not other people, this is not exclusive, but us, we can guarantee everyone in this room that's what God wants. I know that. you, know, you don't live here yet, but you might. so it, to be united in that purpose. What fine? What does it mean? Because we all need to understand and have the same definition of what does it mean to have faith in God. Paul is very, very clear in Galatians, and in he is in very um, relentless in saying that adding to it and being justified by works is not. You know, I thought about this a lot this week. And I would su- suspect and somewhat hope that this would be a struggle that all of us would go through. Well, faith without works is dead. Oh, You're not justified by works. You're justified by faith. Oh, we all want to just well, now, tell me the right way. What's the right way here? Tell me, tell me the right way to say it, okay? So I can say it right, because then that means that I'm, I'm right. No, that isn't it. It's, it's truly understanding what's it mean to be justified by faith. What does it mean to be righteous by faith? What does it mean to, to have a saving faith? I mean, the right words. You're going to go to hell with a mouthful of them. It's a heart that truly knows that is submissive to. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? I mean, we've, we've talked about this a lot in, in probably one of the worst definitions. I mean, you've got a guy off the street who doesn't know, but his life's crappy and he wants to be happier. Things aren't going well. And you say, well, Jesus will bring happiness in your life. Okay, tell me about it. Well, how do I do that? Well, say the prayer, man. You know, Okay, I believe in Jesus. Okay, you're saved. You're born again. You're going to heaven. Really? That's, that's, a, that's a saving faith. You know? Um, you know, not even knowing that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And the only saving faith is one that believes that and, and believes it to the extent that it completely and totally rids you of your life because we lay our life down for Him. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's saving faith. Okay? What is it what did it equate to? I have been crucified with Christ. My life is no longer my own. Is that, that what you came to in giving that intellectual verbiage? No. I mean that maybe. You know, maybe just like at the day of Pentecost. I mean, here, here you have a, a people from all over the world who were devout in their pursuit and recognition of their need for a Messiah. Okay? Their whole life, most of them, some of them were possibly new converts, but the Jewish kids, their whole life, they look forward to the Messiah. Okay? This is what I need. This is what we need. This is the only hope, is the Messiah. Okay? The, the spotless lamb shed, so that I can be reconciled to God. The, the covering for my sin—that I need a covering. I desperately need a covering. So when 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 Jesus was preached through the divine inspiration, revelation of the Holy Spirit, multiple languages at the day of Pentecost, there was a bunch of people that went. A light came on. But this is this is a people who had a lifetime of foundation and the need for a Messiah. And the need for a savior. They they were already understood. I am willing to be under the kingship of the Messiah. Just show me the Messiah. I am willing to subject myself to the authority absolutely of the Messiah. And when it was explained, Jesus was the Messiah. And Jesus has risen again. And Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father. And you can be subjective to that king. You can be, you can give your life to that king. And they said, "I, I do," by the thousands. There was a radical transformation that happened on these Jewish people that were gathered, or proselyte Jews that were gathered in, in 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 Jerusalem, seeking the Messiah. How many people in our culture spend their lives devoutly pursuing the Messiah? Not too many. At least not the Messiah of this Bible. At least not the God of this Bible. That's pretty much in our culture, kind of aside, you know, something that's kind of done on the side, kind of a little pursuit I have. Kind of I have this interest in things of God. Kind of I have this little, you know, I'd like to know purpose. We even, pardon me, we even maybe we even mock those people. Some, some to some degree, devout people we respect, but we kind of mock people who. In their life in pursuit of God, you know, I was looking through a through a book of it. obviously we uh, has a pretty confused view of what faith in God is, and, and his house is literally full of all different sorts of gods you might pursue. Um, I was reading a book on. On uh, I forget what it was I was going through the other day anyway it had, it had it was talking about these these um, devout men in Nepal and they go on a journey I mean these guys full on put like shoe like things on their, knees, on their knees and pads on their knees and pads in their hands and spend a year bowing down and climbing a mountain to pursue God and to pursue righteousness of God tragically even, we look at them and go, you're an idiot. I mean, what an idiot. I mean, you're going, going down the road. I mean, there's pictures of them, you know, going and they take a few steps and then they fall on their face and have to go out and doing it. And, and there's a side of them. I mean, we, idiot, devout beyond what we understand. Should we be that devout? Absolute. Absolute. Should we envy their devoutness? We should have great compassion for their deception. How many of us, you know, our career is more important, our family is more important, our pleasure is more important, our success is more important, our security is more important in material things. And and side. and if I have time to seek God and pursue God, then I'll do that on the side. But why? Because our definitions of faith, because our definitions of dicaeus, justification and righteousness, is it necessary that we're justified before God? If not, we're obviously in deep something. Right? It is absolutely essential that we are justified before God. Do we understand what that means? Do we understand how it how justified? Do we understand? It, it, it's it's central from front to back. There isn't multiple words even. It's one of those words that you know. It, it's wild when you're when you're studying. When I'm studying, I'll, you know, I'll go through my concordance and and be looking up a word and and for for so many words in the Bible the Greek language is much more rich and so is the Hebrew language and has multiple words that kind of we just define only have one word for they have complete different meanings so it's really important to go and look and say what was that word and what was being used there and what was the meaning Um, because God was very specific in having them use the right word they didn't false speak I believe in this when. This was inspired. It's pretty wild. There is not multiple words. Yeah, it's like chaos. Or, or a derivative of, depending on if it's an adverb or a verb or a noun, um, what it is. So, it, it, it's a foundational, critical word. Was it right that the Old Testament people were justified before God? Did the law through the law were they justified? Now, we've all read that enough to know, oh no, that doesn't sound right. In fact, I think he said it here somewhere, that they weren't really justified to the law. In doing that. But what does that mean? They weren't. They were, they were called to do the law. They were called to keep the law. They were commanded by God himself to keep the law. But they weren't justified by the law. But they were commanded to keep the law. At least give it their best shot. So what were they justified then by? So, they weren't justified by keeping the law or trying to keep the law. What were they justified then by? Right? Because they were justified the same way we are before God. And it's it's critical. Abraham, was he justified by the law? Was he ju- No, he didn't have the law, did he? Hmm. How's that work? He didn't have law. What was he justified by? By faith? Different than ours? No. No. One of the distinctions is this isn't a lesser standard that we're free, and we we'll choose to take it on whatever we want, and we can, you know, we we're smart enough to be able to just fill it in and fill the blanks in once in a while by pursuing it. Um, the the standard is not less now. The standard is higher. Why? Right? Because we have been given Christ has died. We have been given the Holy Spirit, and we are able to be transformed, new creatures, not like the Old Testament. New creatures, born again. Okay, So, what's that mean? A lower standard? That means a higher standard. It means a higher standard. We are able to live as, as, as children of God, empowered by God, transformed by God, radically, supernaturally transformed by God. Now, that isn't just statements and words to say. That is a radical reality or should be or can be in our lives. New creatures born again empowered by God. Why? Well, Jesus says I didn't come to do away with the law and the prophets. He said I came to fulfill. I came to complete it. Why? Because I came to empower people to be new creatures to live out to be the holy now it's not that God can't dwell in us because we're a bunch of pathetic sinners un, un, unable to come out from under the bondage of sin. Now what are we? we're we called to be a holy race. We're called to be a holy people. We're called to be the temple of God. I, I'll leave with one statement. And, and I ask you that in, in chapter 2, um, verse 17, okay? because there, there's been a fair amount of this whole controversy when, when Steve and I began to talk about it. and I, I'll never forget. I mean, I remember sitting right there in the back row or something. And, and he, you know, he went on about... He made a statement one morning. And he goes, yeah, I've, none of us have gotten out of bed and even come here without sinning. And I went, really? This is a pretty pathetic room. We've all been disobedient to God since we got out of bed this morning? I mean, why is this a necessity? What, why should this be? Why, why, we're not supposed to have been disobedient to God from the time we got up. This isn't an expectation. We're called to be saints. Empowered. Set free from the bondage of sin doing it. But obviously that's caused a fair amount of controversy. Because it's one of the foundations of our cultural Christianity is because the the... the the statement that I can make which would leave you unable to do anything but call me a humble servant of God would say that I'm a great sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm just a sinner, saved by grace. You'd go, oh, David, look at me so humble. You should look at me and go, you're pathetic. You need to be born again. Why should my identification be, I'm a sinner? I am born again. My identification is, I am supposed to be a saint. Son of the Most High God. I'm empowered. Is that arrogance? That's not arrogance. That's, a, that's, a, that's appropriating the grace, the free gift of God that He has given me. That, 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 is, that is living in the fullness that God has promised me. That is the work of Jesus. To live otherwise, deny the work of Jesus and the power of the cross. That, that's the mockery. That's the blasphemy. It would be like my it would be like my daughter saying it would be like my daughter saying yeah I honor my dad I I believe and I haven't followed this through but I'll I'll work from the cuff here you know I, I exonerate my dad I, I, I esteem my dad I believe my dad's right I I obey my dad but I just can't bring myself to do it so I spend a good part of my day kind of going yes dad and flipping him off behind my back as I turn around and doing what I want to do and saying which would be the truth of her heart? That she honors and esteems her dad? That she's submissive to her father? Or that she's rebellious and in sin? Yeah. And it's the same thing with God. I mean, what do we do? How do we live our lives? Faith in God is faith in who he has claimed to be. Is assurance in who he has claimed to be is pers- being persuaded that who He has claimed to be is true. That He is the Most High God. That He is the King of kings. That He is worthy to be served. That I am a bond servant. I lay my life down for Him. My life is no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. That's faith in that God. In the true and living God. It's, it's very important that we define what does it mean to have faith in Jesus. It's not a cute little statement. And it's not intellectually correct enunciation with our mouth that is going to keep us from the fire of hell. It's a heart that surrendered to those truths, to what we claim to be true of God, that is saving faith. This is a grace of God. This is a free gift of God that He gives us. We don't earn it. By right intellectual understanding or right actions. This is something that God gives us freely. What do we have to do? Acknowledge Him for who He is. Not intellectually, with our lives. The only true belief, if I truly believe, it will change my life. I will surrender to the King. If I truly believe. So, by chaos, justified, righteous, Think about what, what we, each of us, individually consider our saving faith. Because we very easily go, well, I have saving faith um, and that's validated by the fact that I don't do this and do do that and do, do this and do, do that. Just like they did in that day. But that's not what validates our faith. What validates our faith it, well, First John has a bunch of validations of our faith. It's important that our faith is validated biblically, not culturally, not denominally, denominationally. You know, it, it's a I my heart was truly um, I know it was a minor, but my heart was truly blessed, Jeff, when you when you spoke of your of a assembly of God's supposedly and my my question would be why are you still part of this denomination i mean you know and and he's i'm sure saying this asking the same question, you know, but the church that Jeff goes to is assembly of gods and and yet and yet from what I was just told this morning, he has the biblical perspective on tongues doesn't that disqualify you from aging? I mean I I, I I you know i you know th- th- that's a that's a radical thing because I haven't known of any who did you know doing it that's just the way the acceptable road they've gone down to me that tells me the spirit of God is working and moving um, in the man's heart to speak truth that did my heart good that's even in the state of Washington man. I didn't know that it happened over there too much you know? so th- that's a, that's a that's a sweet thing that God is leading in spite of our I mean, why do we hold on to the baggage? I mean, we're kind of in the same thing, you know. I I do not want to hold on to the fact that I am designated within the Calvary Chapel system as being a senior pastor. I will be the first to kick that out. But there's no biblical definition of a senior pastor. Leader? Does God call someone to be... If God gives you the gift of leadership, right? you better be about leading you better be about leading. That's not a senior pastor. That's a leader. When it comes to being shepherds, God calls us to be shepherds. He calls us to be elders. He calls us to be the chairman of God. On and on. Accountable? I tell you what. I say this now. I've always said it. And I'll continue to say it. I hold myself completely and totally accountable to each one of you. And you have a responsibility to do that. If you see something, hear something, question something sideways, it would be hatred to not go, David? David? Are you sure? You see this? What's up here? Let's pray. God, I don't know how, how... I trust you to... Redefine. Redefine our view of you. Redefine our, our religious mouths that run so easily and disconnect with our hearts and our lives. We believe in a form of Christianity that, that believes if we're intellectually correct, we can pretty much live how we want. And there's a disconnect between what we say about you and what our lives live out. We say that we're you're worthy to be praised. That you are King of King and Lord of Lords. That you are God Almighty. That you are a good God. That you are a loving God. That you're a gracious God that offers a way to have an intimate relationship. If we read and agree with and say we agree intellectually with it, we are seated at the right hand of the Father with you, with that power and authority, with power over the dominions, powers and principalities that govern places, and yet we live differently God please you Jesus had such a hard time with that because he called it hypocrisy saying something that you really don't believe acting in a way that really isn't what you believe in from your heart God please it's such a propensity within us as men and women to be hypocrites it's such a propensity and that's what you struggled with. You didn't struggle with the Jews and their law. You struggled with the Jews and their hypocrisy. And you would struggle with us. I'm sorry for that. God asks us to purify our understanding, our definitions. Cause us to be challenged. What is, what is the faith that saves me? What does it mean that we are justified? What does it mean that you call us to righteousness? What does it mean that we're saved through faith? So God, I ask you to, your spirit of truth, your Holy Spirit, to be relentless. In my brother and sister's hearts, because I love them, not because I want to bug them and then to be bugged. Or, but I ask you to Send the relentless urging of your Holy Spirit to cause us to question. Cause us to ponder. Cause us to, to look. To... Go to each other. And realize what is the transforming, saving faith. I ask you, to, it's hard for us to, to go through Galatians and study because we, ha- we distance ourselves so hard from their propensity to be circumcised or to live under the law because we think we're so free of that that we find it irrelevant. God, I ask you to help me help me convey the the almost insatiable in our flesh propensity to be under the law. To justify ourselves before you with the law. God, I, ask you, it's, it, I know that what might seem to be a relentless prodding or thorn in the side of your Holy Spirit questioning, I know, is a place of peace. Is a, is a direction and route to comfort and joy and fulfillment in my brothers' and sisters' lives. And that's really what I long for, is a right relationship with you because that, that is irrelevant to the circumstances around us. And I want my brothers and sisters to know the great power and joy and fulfillment of a right relationship with You. God, I ask Your blessing on... that it would be a... A place where everyone who comes draws nearer to You. is convicted deep in their souls of the need to be right with You. I ask You not to allow us to focus on hedonism and self-fulfillment. But I thank You that You are a God who is a loving Father who gives good gifts. I don't know what else You could call the turning in the aspens, but a good gift. Thank you for that. I ask you to bless Jeff and his family with a, with a piece about what and where. As, uh, I, I would, if his boss wants to move here and have this be a base, he would move in that way and move swiftly that we could share his brothers and sisters with him and his family and little two and seven year old and his wife and We could bless them and be blessed by them. I ask you to give them a comfort in the direction of I don't know, comfort, a peace, a willingness to obey, and a clarity about what you call them to. I don't I don't ask that he would be taken out of the body that sounds like his. He's to a large degree being led by you. I ask that you would give him wisdom to bless that family, to bless his pastor, to encourage him, and his brothers and sisters in that church. I thank you for taking the bonds and baggage and dogma, beginning to erase that and take it away. I think you're doing the same with us and I ask you to continue even though we'd just like to hold on to something. Cause us not to want to hold on to anything but to let it all go. Accept your truth and the reality of who you are. God asked He would protect Barb and Twin Falls. He asked He would bring believers into her life. Lead her to a place of fellowship with brothers and sisters. Protect her from from the evil one. I want to ask my brothers and sisters to join me in praying for Jen. God, we ask You to soften her heart, open her ears, the ears of her heart, the eyes of her heart, that she would see the truth of the world around her and be open to awareness of You as a God Almighty, but loving Father. I don't want to appear to tell you what to do, but God, I ask you to break the bondage that she has holding her in Seattle. Because I know that would be your will. And I ask you to protect her mother from attacks that would keep your will from happening. I ask that you would protect rain, raise parents from the lies of Satan. I ask that you would use your truth to soften their hearts. Cause conviction of the soul and a renewed desire to to be obedient. I, I think it would be remiss if we didn't pray for. Hard for Jeremy since the axle fell out of his. Whether he continues to drive what he's driving or whether he something else, God, that your will would be done. Because you're a loving father who wants to provide. I thank you that we can come on the blood of Jesus. His payment on His righteousness. That we can stand before you. I thank you that He justified us. As only He could before You, that we can stand right, forgiven, whole, and holy before You, God. I thank You for that. Amen.